Welcome to Shape by Faith with your host, Teresa Rowe. To find out more about Shape by Faith and Teresa Rowe, please visit shapebyfaith.com or visit the YouTube channel, Facebook, or Instagram. And now, here is Teresa Rowe. Welcome to Shape by Faith, where we shape our bodies and our hearts for God's purposes. I'm excited about my guest today. His name is Gary Farron. He is a musician. He's a creative director, has written over 300 songs, advertising jingles, and morning show parodies. He is also a veteran DJ and studio producer, a recipient of the Billboard Air Personality of the Year Award. His broadcast work has also been recognized by the Associated Press, Radio and Production Magazine, and over two dozen Mars Awards for commercial production. His voice is heard daily on radio and TV stations across the USA and Canada, as well as on audiobooks such as Eddie, The Life and Times of America's Preeminent Bad Boy. As an avid analyst of entertainment, Gary has produced radio specials on The Beatles, John Lennon, and numerous other recording artists. In addition, he has written two books, after Abbey Road, the solo hits of the Beatles, and Right Brain Writing, Creative Shortcuts for Wordsmiths. So, Gary, I'm excited. My goodness gracious. The Lord has blessed you. You have gotten to do so many things, but welcome to Shape by Faith. Thank you, Teresa. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely. So, what was it like growing up in a family where everyone was a musician, an artist, or both? You know what? You couldn't ask for a more supportive environment for creativity because both my parents were, were very talented artists. My mother was more of a musician and my father was more of the artist. He actually owned a sign shop oh. in Massachusetts. So he did a little bit of everything in terms of artwork and, and fonts and create, creative artwork of all types. Uh, my brother's also very musical and very artistic. I picked up on all of that and added writing to the mix, a love for writing when I was quite young. So I've been able to take all of these creative endeavors and and just run with them in this environment. Uh, they were big music fans. Uh, so there was always music playing in the house. Either my brothers or my, uh, my mother was playing the piano or guitar. Uh, but uh, music, you know, record albums from pop to jazz to show tunes. I had a a wealth of, of musical uh, background. It sounds like it. Wow. And that's pretty incredible. Um, I mean, God knew the family he wanted you in and he picked them just perfectly. So obviously your family um, had that strong influence on you when it came to music and, and writing. And that is so neat that your father owned a sign shop. Did he, did he, you know, sketch out his own signs himself and paint them? Or how did he do that? You know, it was a very interesting process. I remember uh, a, a lot of paper being used. In fact, he had a, a huge roll of, of paper, probably, I don't know, three or four feet wide. And he would pull the paper off the roll, just like he would paper towels. And he'd put that on uh, on a giant uh, easel, basically, a mm -hmm. uh, big table, and sketch out whatever's going on. Yeah, the letter, the hand lettering back in that day, they didn't have computers to do the lettering and the fonts for you. So he was a very talented guy putting these signs together for all different types of businesses. He, he was the most popular sign man in Massachusetts, in that area, at least. That's really, and you'd have to be super patient, I would think, to do hand lettering. That's a skill that a lot of people do not have. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I try. I tried my hand at it more than once, and I was a loser at it. So, oh, no, I doubt it. <laughs> uh, okay, so growing up, what was your favorite thing to do? Well, you know what? Those big rolls of paper that I mentioned, I would often pull off a, a, a few feet of that, fold it up into fourths, and uh -huh. then put it on the dining room table and and draw cartoons. Oh. I was always sketching little cartoons and stuff. That was probably my first favorite thing to do at the house. As far as cartoons, were you exposed to that in the newspaper or books? Or how did you pick up on, you know, drawing cartoons? I think just because I love cartoons on TV so much and the mm -hmm. comic strips and comic books and all that, I, it just sort of became my first uh, goal. I guess I wanted to have a career in cartooning. I did actually have one comic strip one week in a local newspaper. It was probably a favor to my parents, you know, because uh, I was a local son who drew, you know. Right. But, uh, no, I won a, a couple of little art awards as a youngster, and mm -hmm. those were little boosts. I appreciate those. So let's, let's talk about um, also um, your faith. Were you raised in a Christian environment? Yes, I was. And I say that with a certain qualification because my family, as I was growing up, were Jehovah's Witnesses, and they believe in Christ. They honor Christ as, as Savior and Lord and the Son of God. But in the JW way of thinking, he is not God. He is mm -hmm. not a part of God. Uh, so they don't worship Jesus. They don't pray to Jesus. They pray only to the Almighty God, Jehovah, and that's their main focus in that religion. That said, I got a lot of, I'd say, Christian values from the JWs. They are very strict with no smoking, no drinking, no swearing. The list goes on and on. We couldn't even celebrate holidays. Even our own birthdays and anniversaries wow. were taboo. I don't know if that's still the case. It's been so long since I've been to a kingdom hall that I'm no longer an authority. But that's what I remember most, a very strict upbringing. And even in school, we couldn't salute the flag, things like that. But what it also gave me was an ability to public speak. And, and they would have a ministry school where on a rotating basis, all of the participants in the congregation had to put together and perform basically a seven-minute talk on a Bible subject that they uh, dictated. So I, I grew up without a fear of the microphone, and it has served me well throughout my career uh, so that's one thing I am grateful to the JWs right. for. That's yeah. so interesting. You know, I, I, I wasn't sure exactly. Um, as you, and I like the way you say JWs. Never heard <laughs> them referred to as that. But uh, I, I didn't realize, you know, every everything that you just mentioned right there. Um, it's very interesting, fascinating. So let's let's get back to, okay, so at the age of 10, you wrote your first song. Is that correct? That would be about right. It was actually an instrumental on mm -hmm. the piano, kind of a manic little funny thing that would probably only be be good for a silent movie soundtrack <laughs> during a cop chase or something. Right. Well, uh, that's later, interesting, though, that at a young age you were doing that anyway. Yeah, it was definitely the musical influence. It, it was a, a, a standard, you know, three three chord situation. So I kind of began to understand music. But as I developed as a songwriter, and maybe some of your listeners will appreciate this if they're into songwriting or learning how to, the way I sort of learned to put music and lyrics together came about in two ways. I was big on Mad Magazine, 
Mm-hmm. And as as many of maybe you and your listeners will yeah. recall, they used to have a lot of parodies in there to the t- uh, tune of popular songs. So some of my first musical education was writing my own lyrics to familiar songs as little parodies. Uh, so that gave me a, a feel for lyrics to music. As for putting music to lyrics, my mother had this book of old vaudeville tunes in her piano bench. Just old songs that you would have never heard of, and I certainly hadn't. Even to this day, I've never heard anybody do them. But they were silly little, you know, minstrel songs, I think. And I put some music together for those. So it, it kind of gave me a sense of, of both sides, the lyrics and the music. And then eventually I started putting them together into complete songs of my own. Wow, you are talented and well-rounded praise god right <laughs> he's the one that did that right yeah, absolutely it sure wasn't me <laughs> he gave you all that but that but he knew you would steward them well so at one time you did have plans of becoming a cartoonist but obviously god had different plans for you right exactly yeah, I'd, I'd say probably about the time I was a teenager and I really got into music, especially with my brothers. One of my brothers taught me how to play bass guitar. Another uh, played guitar and, and wrote a lot of songs. So I learned a lot from the both of them. And that turned me into music. And I was probably one of the only teenagers on my block to have a real reel-to-reel tape recorder that did multi-tracking. And at that point, I began to write and I'll say, produce my own songs with me doing all the instruments. And that's what really got me on the track of what I wound up doing, which was broadcast production and eventually getting into radio. Okay. We're going to take a real quick break here because I want to hear more about this. So everyone stay tuned for more Shape by Faith coming up next. Welcome back to Shape by Faith. We shape our bodies and hearts for God's purposes. My guest today is Gary Farron. He's a musician, creative director. He has written over 300 songs, advertising jingles, morning show parodies, He is also a veteran DJ and studio producer. So I would love to hear about, Gary, you were talking about that, getting into uh, radio production and and producing your own music and lyrics. So why don't you tell us more about that? Well, you know, about the time that my father died uh, from an accident, uh, and it was just my mother and I at that point, we moved down south, which uh, to be near her family. And it was down there that I started to listen to a local radio station and I would actually be one of those annoying listeners who would call up to make requests. DJs, (laughs) DJs don't like that. I found. Do they not? (laughs) I think these days it's so automated that they can't even Uh take requests. So, you know, as things were transforming into that, they said, Oh, don't stop calling. You know, but anyway, I got to be friends with one of the DJs and at one point uh, one of their DJs quit. And they had an opening and I was thinking, oh, my goodness, wouldn't that be fun to be a DJ? So I went up to the radio station and I did a little audition. And having come from Massachusetts Mm -hmm. down to North Carolina, I had a bit of a northern accent. And I was I was still talking about packing my car and have a yard. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) they weren't crazy about a Yankee. Oh, uh, being funny. on their radio station. So w- what they did, actually, this is kind of a funny story in itself. They gave me a Jerry Clower record album. Okay. I don't know if you know who Jerry Clower is, but he was a Southern comedian from Yazoo City, Louisiana, who had a really thick Southern accent. And I mean, you couldn't go any further than him <laughs> if you were looking for an accent. So they said, take this album home and mock him 
as they wow. put it. In other words, emulate what he was doing. Mm -hmm. So, so I did exactly that. I kind of picked up on what a Southern accent was because I really hadn't you know, noticed that I sound so different, but uh, somewhere between the two, I stopped. And most people think I'm from the Midwest now because I, <laughs> I don't really have either accent. I don't think. <laughs> well, I bet that served you well, though. I mean, that's interesting that they wanted you to emulate him. That is so um, interesting. Okay. So as a DJ, what kind of music did you play? And was it a, did you talk a lot or did you just play a lot of records? What did you do? Mm. Well, as you have probably already noticed, I love to talk. So, well, so that's that was a, a good fair, thing. It, it can be helpful. Yes, ma'am. Uh, but I'd say the radio stations probably that I worked at probably had as varied a soundtrack of styles as my home did growing up. I did country music. I did pop music. I did rock music. I did easy listening, classical. And this was all at one radio station. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, yeah, it was kind of all things for all people, depending on what day and time slot you were in. So it, it was fun to do, though. Again, mm -hmm. it gave me a good musical education that I felt was balanced. Absolutely. So when did you begin writing advertising jingles? And do you have a favorite one that you're most proud of? The, the jingles came about at that first station. Uh, as I mentioned, I was doing some home recording at that point and doing the instruments myself. So I did a little jingle for my favorite advertiser. He was kind of a friend of the station. So we treated him well and he treated us well. He gave me free clothes. He was a clothier. <laughs> oh, wow. And yeah. So uh, not payola. No, it wasn't at all payola. He, it was like a, <laughs> a wedding present that he gave me this suit, that kind of I stuff. See. Mm -hmm. But um, in any event, no, I did a little jingle for him. That was my first jingle. I'd say the one that I'm most proud of uh, was one that I did for uh, a series of churches. It was called, Isn't It Better Together? And it was about unity within the church and things like that. And it got a lot of airplay uh, back in the day locally. You know, I've listened to your voice. Actually, you have a really good voice, a good singing voice. So, well, yeah. I mean, did you, you ever think you would go on to, you know, did you ever cut an album and use your voice and your music abilities with that? First of all, I really appreciate that compliment. You have yes. a lovely voice, too, by the way, Teresa. Thank you should you. be. Do you sing? I got to ask. You know, like a lounge lizard. <laughs> okay. I should have been born in the 40s, you know, very <laughs> deep voice. Well, there you go. I should have been a show tune guy because that's still my my favorite thing, I think. And a lot of the songs I write should be show tunes instead of top 40 hits on the radio. But uh, what was your question? Oh, oh yeah, I, mostly what I've recorded has been for my own entertainment and for my friends and family. Not a lot of people have heard what I do. I think at one point I probably tried to, you know, peddle some songs in Nashville, mm -hmm. but that was at a time when it, it just wasn't happening. So, okay. Well, um, so you went into voicing audiobooks, which I find fascinating. Of course, I've listened to a lot of audiobooks and I'm like, I would love to do that one day, but you know, that's God's planning, but it is fascinating. So how did you get involved with that? I think from years of people telling me that I should do audiobooks, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I know, and I know I listen to them all the time too. So I, I should have picked up on that years ago myself. But no, a, a few years ago, um, there's actually Audible. I'm sure you've heard of that. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a division called ACX, and it's through Amazon, uh, it, and it pairs authors looking for readers with 
narrators looking for authors and oh. books to narrate. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so each can pick and choose from each other and find a good combination. And if you find the right book that you want to read, it, it can be a, a nice little situation. I think the first, first audio book that I did was a biography of Tom Petty. Oh, wow. But, okay. uh, but my favorite, and you already mentioned it at the beginning of the show, was, was Eddie, mm -hmm. The Life and Times of America's Preeminent Teenager there. He, for those who might not remember, is, uh, was Eddie Haskell yes. from Leave it to Beaver. And uh, what a super guy he was. Just, it, you wouldn't know from watching the show that he was not a wise guy. He was just a very good actor. Oh, he was great. I mean, you, yeah. you know, everyone that watched that show remembers him. I mean, he played it well. So you, you got to meet him and, and you know him? Well, he was in Los Angeles and I'm down here in, in Memphis. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, our only communication was, you know, internet and whatever. But uh, the, <laughs> the way I got the, uh, this gig, if you want to call it that, was uh, the author, Christopher Lynch, uh, was looking for somebody who could do the the so-called Eddie cackle, which was oh, Eddie Haskell's, uh, you know, wise guy laugh. Uh, so I, I watched a few of the episodes and I came up with, I probably can't do it now, but it was along the lines of <laughs> that kind of a thing. That's and I guess, good. I, oh, thank you. Yeah. I guess I came closest now in the book itself. I don't try to, you know, talk like Eddie, you squirt, you know, you need to be, you do that kind of stuff. Uh, it was more of a straight narration, but there were moments of the of the Eddie cackle that needed to land. So that's what they were looking for. And I got lucky enough to be picked. That is so interesting. How long does it take to complete an audiobook? I'm so glad you asked because I don't think people understand how long it can take. Let's say a three-hour audiobook doesn't take three hours to read. Obviously, there's a lot of post-editing and mistakes and outtakes and things like that. And between my own experience and talking to other voice people, it can literally take eight times the amount that you would think. So a three-hour book, multiply that by eight. Uh, what is that? 24, yes. 24 hours? Oh yeah. <laughs> You're asking the wrong person, Gary. That is 24, though. <laughs> okay. Yes. So, yeah, well, it's a I'm, process. I thought it was. And actually... Um, 24 hours isn't as bad as I, I mean, that's probably also pretty quick um, for someone like you because you're skilled at, you know, speaking and, and you've been in the industry, but that's impressive to be able to do that in a 24 hour period of time. But no, you're right. People don't realize the work it entails. Do you produce those yourself in your own yes. studio? Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. I have a home studio and I do everything from here now, video, audio, you name it. It's incredible what we can do at home now, isn't it? With all this technology. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's just like, wow. Okay. We've got under a, a minute. So mm -hmm. do you want to mention any other audio books that you enjoy doing? I'd say one that I actually could recommend because I've benefited from it myself mm -hmm. was called Time Management, and it's by Chris Tracy and Brian Bailey, and that's on uh, Amazon uh, Audible. Uh, but yeah, I needed help with time management, and this book really taught me a lot. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more Shape by Faith. Everyone stay tuned. 
Welcome back to Shape by Faith. Gary, you are amazing. And I'm not just saying that. Um, I'm not trying <laughs> to flatter you. You have been able to do so many amazing, interesting things in your lifetime. Um, if you were analyzing the movie of your life, um, were there any specific moments where God impacted your life? You know, the answer to that is probably twofold because you know, a lot of a lot of Christians talk about a, a, a dynamic moment in their life when everything changed for them, or they said that was a God moment. I think in my case, Teresa, it was a, a more of an ongoing thing uh, in which I have learned to appreciate the little miracles that God does for us every day. I feel like I have a very blessed life, almost a charmed life in many ways, because I've never really had any struggles in my life, and that's not to brag. That's to mm -hmm. thank God for you know this this opportunity for the life that I continue to enjoy. But I have a lot of love in my life. I have good relationships. I don't think I have any enemies. It's just been a good life, and I credit that to my parents and a good godly upbringing that helps me out. But on a daily basis, I am so aware and so grateful that that God is good and I'm always looking for little moments you know e even finding the right parking space when mm -hmm. you think there's not going to be one that's oh that, for me, that's, yes it's a little miracle right it but is the, but the other side of that coin and I'll just finish that thought is that uh, other I don't know I don't I don't want to say that I've had it like a burning bush moment or even a road to Emmaus moment but I do remember being about 11 or 12 and coming home from the Kingdom Hall, the place where the JWs met three times a week. And and JWs, by the way, is what they call themselves now. They their website okay. is even JW.org. Okay. So it's it's more than a nickname okay. these days. Um they call their religion the truth, quote mm -hmm. unquote. And you hear that phrase so often at the Kingdom Hall, you know, is 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 he in the truth? Does he know the truth? Da da da. And at that age, 11 or 12, I remember coming home from the Kingdom Hall, sitting in the back seat with my parents, and I'm thinking to myself, is this the truth? I don't know. You know, who should I believe is telling me the truth or not? So it was even at that young age that I began to question what I'm taught religiously. And as I say, I'm no longer a JW, nothing against them necessarily. Mm -hmm. That's not what my point. Uh, but it, it took me on a search to other religions, and I looked at a many, a great many other uh, belief systems and things like that. And it brought me to an, an awareness and an appreciation for Christ that I didn't have back at that age. So if there was a, a moment, you know, a burning bush, that was probably it. God telling me, question things. Don't just take everybody's word for it. Look for yourself. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's great advice too. Um, you are a co-leader of a Christian writers group that puts out an, an anthology, I can't even speak, Gary, of short <laughs> stories each year. So how do you orchestrate this project with all the different writers and their stories? We have probably 20 members, uh, more or less, each, each month. We meet once a month, and they are all writers. Some are traditionally published Others are, are more beginners, but between the bunch of us, we learn from each other. And each year, as you say, we put out this anthology, and it starts with coming up with an idea for the anthology. Our most recent one was called Stories from the Attic, and it, it could be anything, anything fictional that comes to your mind. You know, whose attic isn't full of mystery and 
<laughs> Who knows what's that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's some dram- dramatic stories and some comedic stories, and it's just a nice balance of stories. And that's on Amazon, by the way, uh, Stories okay. from the Attic by Collierville Christian Writers, or CC Writers, as we sometimes go by. Uh, we're currently finishing an anthology called Fortunes. And the theme on that one, in each of the stories, the protagonist comes into sudden riches. What mm. would you do with sudden riches? So, yeah, good good idea starters is the way we put these stories together into collections. So do all the members of this group get published? By putting out this anthology, yes. Uh, everybody can say they have their name in print. And uh, this year, actually, one of my personal goals is to help this, this, the Collierville Christian writers each get published. If they have a book in them, I want them to be able to get it out this year. Mm-hmm. That's neat. Um, we would love um, to also hear about your books and why you wrote them. My husband would be very interested in um, the solo hits of the Beatles after Abbey Road. And then I'm very interested in hearing about right brain writing creative shortcuts for wordsmith. So whatever, whatever you want to say about those. Okay. Well, just in a nutshell, I think these are both books that I wrote because they are books I would want to read. I've always been a fan of of music, as I mentioned, and especially the Beatles, and loved hearing the songs behind their, uh, or the, the stories behind their songs, I should say. And there are hundreds of books about the Beatles and the songs that they've written, but there were no books about all the songs that they've done as solo artists. And that's over 220 songs that Ringo, Paul, George, and, and uh, John put out. Uh, and there's a story behind each one of those, and I wanted to know them. So I did the research, and I basically wrote the book after gonna, Abbey Road. I was going to ask you, how, what kind of research is involved in that to find out each story? That would have to be a lot. A lot of internet research, you know, many, many websites to, to get mm-hmm. the information that I wanted and a lot of library visits and, and buying books, borrowing books, you name it, just whatever sources were out there. Even YouTube videos had some good interviews I could pull from. Okay. All right. What about your next book, Right okay. Brain Writing? Right Brain Writing is mm-hmm. a, a go-to guide for anybody who wants to write. And even though there are lots of books out there that, that tell you the mechanics of storytelling and putting a book together, things like that, dialogue, description, characters, etc. cetera. Uh, my book adds the focus of brainstorming, coming up with the ideas to put into books. So that's why I call it right brain writing. It pulls mm-hmm. upon the, the creative side of the brain. Okay. Well, I'm an idea person, so maybe that would be good for me. I've already ordered it, but I have not received it yet. <laughs> I'll give it <laughs> Thank you. Speak. Absolutely. Well, our time is up and you have been so enjoyable and uh, so interesting uh, to hear what you've done and what you're continuing to do. So thank you so much, Gary, for sharing your time with us today. Well, God bless you, Teresa, and your listeners as well. I appreciate you having me today. Thank you. And thank you for listening. I'm Teresa Rowe. Everyone have a blessed day. Bye. Thank you for listening to Shape by Faith with Teresa Rowe. Remember to visit shapebyfaith.com to find out more about workouts, the TV show, podcasts, blogs, Shape by Faith products, and much more.